You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. But we're in Matthew 24, verse 28 through 35. This is the Olivet Discourse. We're midway, well into it now. I'll read the text and then I'll have a word of prayer. Verse 28 of Matthew 24. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of our King Jesus our high priest who intercedes for us, and our great prophet who speaks to us through the scriptures. We pray, Father in heaven, that you would give us proper understanding of your word. You lead us into all truth, that you convict us of sin. Uh, We pray our our minds will be conformed uh, to your will. We pray, dear God in heaven, that the word of God would be a source of unity for us as a church. And we pray that you'd save sinners, please that you'd strengthen us, and you'd empower the preaching and hearing of your word. Amen. So we are in uh, Matthew 24, and this is the Olivet Discourse. began after the disciples asked the question of verse 3 in Matthew 24 to provide context. The disciples asked the question in verse 3. They said um, to Jesus, Tell us when these things be, or when will these things be? And these things, of course, is referring to the destruction of the temple that he just talked about previous to that. And what will be the sign of your coming? The word coming there is from the Greek word parousia, which means his second coming. And the close of the age. The close of the age makes reference to the end of the Jewish age and the beginning of the church age, the end of the old age. Covenant community and the beginning of the new covenant community. The disciples evidently um, muddled these things up together some. And so for the next while after that question or those questions are posed, Jesus um, walks through each one of those questions and uh, helpfully helps us to understand when will these things be. When will these things be? Speaking of the destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming? Speaking of the parousia of Christ, the second coming. And what will be the sign of the close of the age? The end of the Jewish age and the beginning of the Gentiles. The messianic age. The kingdom of God expanding from Israel to cover the face of the earth. Verse 4 through 8. I'm just giving you a little summary to get us all up to speed. As to where we're at before I get into today's text, but verse 4 to 8, as Jesus answers the question, he speaks of the nations tottering 
And then in verse 6, he says, but the end is not yet. Verse 9 through 13, he speaks of the persecution that will happen while the nations totter. But then he says, he who endures to the end, in verse 13, will be saved, meaning that the end is not yet. Verse 14, he speaks about the proclamation of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And then he says in verse 14, and then the end will come, meaning that once the gospel is proclaimed throughout the empire, that's the beginning of the end. Verse 15 through 17, he speaks of the tribulation of Jerusalem, and the people are told in verse 16 to flee from Judea after they see the abomination of desolation. Today's text, I believe, is speaking to the vindication of Jesus Christ in the destruction of Jerusalem and the blessing that follows that towards the Gentile nations. So I believe that today's text, for the original listeners who are listening to Jesus on the Mount of Olives, what it is referring to, for them that were listening to him, it was a prophecy of the vindication of Jesus Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem. And for them, it was a prophecy of the ingathering of the Gentiles that will come after the partial hardening of Israel. The vindication of Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem and then the Gentile summer or the Gentile harvest. Jesus, just before his death, gave these prophecies of Matthew 24. And up until now, for the ones who were listening to him, the disciples, up until now, they were prophecies of what was to come in their lifetime. For us, as we listen to them and as we read them, they are prophecies that have been fulfilled. So for the disciples, they were to be fulfilled. For us, they have been fulfilled and they were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem. I have given you some reasons why I believe that. I think one of the main reasons, not the only one, but one of the main ones is found in verse 34 where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Meaning that the predictions, the prophecies leading up to that text will take place within that generation. The prophecy being that the nations will totter, there will be a persecution unleashed upon the church, there will be an empire-wide preaching of the gospel, there will be the abomination of desolation, at what point they must flee Judea, there will be a great tribulation in Jerusalem, and then Jerusalem will be destroyed, at which point Jesus Christ and all of his claims will be vindicated, and then the kingdom of God will flourish and expand into the Gentile nations. And... I believe that today's text, verse 28 through 35, is speaking of the vindication of Jesus Christ in the destruction of Jerusalem and the blessing upon the Gentile nations that comes afterwards, after that destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now, here's how I'm going to handle the text today. I'm, going, I'm not going to give you like a three or four point outline like I typically do. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to slowly walk through each verse. So there's going to be my outline is the verses. So today, I think you have to do this every Sunday, but today especially, you're really going to have to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Okay? So you are going to have to, with your mind, engage with the sermon and with the text. So if, you, if you've come to just passively sit there for the next, I don't know, a while, <laughs> you're going to miss it. So we're going to have to sort through some weeds and turn over some stones, and we're going to get there. But remember this, as I invite you to engage with your mind and follow me through this, and love the Lord your God with all your mind, I want you to remember this in, this in this sermon, specifically, he who endures to the end will be saved. <laughs> but in all seriousness, follow along as I go verse by verse through this text, and then when I get to the end, there will be a brief time of application, but the outline is just going through each verse, each verse, each verse, okay? So not a very structured outline is, is typical, but we will follow this unfolding prophecy that Jesus gives. For them, it was a prophecy that would be fulfilled. For us, it's a prophecy that has been fulfilled. Verse 28. Verse 28 speaks of the end of the tribulational period upon Jerusalem, which commenced with the abomination of desolation and the arrival of the final judgment. Verse 28. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So remember, I'm just walking through this. Now, this is a confusing parable or a confusing proverb with many different explanations. I was able to uncover multiple explanations in my study, but the one that makes the most sense to me is that this is a word picture. Of verse 28 is a word picture. You have a corpse... And then you have vultures gathering to descend to pick the flesh off the corpse. And this is a word picture of the Romans finishing off Jerusalem. Finishing off the Jews of Jerusalem who were under God's judgment. Jerusalem, by the time of the Roman invasion had gone through several years of tribulation. They'd been ravaged by starvation to the point where it is recorded that at least one woman ate her child. They had been ravaged by civil war with at least three warring factions within the walled cities. No one could get out. And they had been ex experienced many false prophets leading people astray, exasperating an already dire situation. And so Jerusalem expired and is one that expired, a city that expired, particularly the temple expired, the people of the temple and the people of Jerusalem expired. The vultures gathered to pick the flesh off the bones. The Roman army comes in. There's a false prophecy. This is during the time of uh, Passover, 
And so there's hundreds of thousands of people streaming into Jerusalem. And as people are gathered in Jerusalem, and the Roman army comes in, the zealots start to prophesy that if you just gather into the temple, you'll be saved. So they gather into the temple, men, women, and children gather into the temple, they pack themselves into the temple, and as they've packed themselves into the temple, the Romans set fire to the temple, and everyone in the temple is either burned alive, men, women, or children, or they jump out of the temple windows and they die on impact when they hit the pavement below. And then the remainder of the town, much of the remainder of the town is crucified to the point where they say they ran out of places in Jerusalem for the crosses. And so what Jesus is saying with this little proverb here, wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather, or there the vultures will gather, is Jerusalem has become a corpse, and the vultures are coming. And this is wholly consistent with the curses of God on apostate Israel from Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to have some scriptures come up on the screen throughout this sermon to help you follow along. But in Deuteronomy 28, this is the curse of God. It pronounces the curses of God upon Israel when Israel forsakes God. And one of the curses of God on Israel in Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, is the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. Well, what happened in 70 AD? The Romans moved in. They swooped down like an eagle. They killed them. What's Jesus' prophecy? Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Now, Deuteronomy 28, 26, again, the curses of God upon apostate Israel, says, And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air, for the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. And so because Israel is under covenant curse by rejecting Jesus Christ, denying him his rightful worship in the temple, they are an apostate nation. They have been handed over to the curse of God. And the curse of God is what? A foreign nation swooping in like eagles to do away with them and then their bodies becoming bird food. When Jesus says in Matthew 24, 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I believe the most consistent explanation of this is it is a reference to the curse of God upon Israel, the end of the tribulational period and the final judgment when the vultures come in to finish the job and pick the dead flesh off of their bones. This is it. Moving on. Follow along with me. Verse by verse, verse 29. Verse 29, likewise, is referring to the final cataclysmic judgment on Jerusalem, which occurred in 70 AD. I'll read it. Look at, notice the time reference at the beginning of verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed in chapter 23. He pronounced the curse of God upon the temple in chapter 23. In verse 29 through 31, although they are contested, and you no doubt know that, many of you no doubt know that, I believe the most consistent explanation with the flow of the text is that this is referring to the cataclysmic judgment on Jerusalem. Now, you're going to note 
that there are four events that are predicted in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation. There are four events. One, the sun will be darkened. Two, the moon will be darkened. Three, stars will fall. Four, the heavens will shake. Verse 29 predicts four events. Darkening of the sun, darkening of the moon, stars falling, heavens shake. That is referring to cataclysmic judgment on the nation or on the city. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, each one of those signs or each one of those happenings, sun darkening, moon darkening, stars falling, heaven shaking, is a biblical metaphor for cataclysmic judgment. And there's multiple examples of it in the Bible where sun darkening, moon darkening, stars falling, heaven shaking is a metaphor, figurative language that refers to cataclysmic judgment. I'll give you two. But if you do a word study on your own with your own concordance, you'll find there's several. Isaiah 13, verse 10 and 13. So Isaiah it should be on the screen there. Isaiah 13, verse 10 is speaking of the judgment of God on Babylon for their terrible treatment of Israel. So Babylon treats Israel terribly, and God judges Babylon for it. This is something that happened in the past, and Isaiah is talking about it here in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. It's past for us, and it's future for Isaiah. Isaiah 13, verse 10 says, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Verse 13 of Isaiah 13 also says, I will, or sorry, therefore I will make the heavens tremble, shake, and the earth will be shaken out of its place. Okay? Same language, cataclysmic event that for us occurred in times past. Isaiah was prophesying it for the Isaiah's hearers. It was to be fulfilled for us. It was fulfilled when, when the judgment came upon the Babylonians, and it's the same language that Jesus uses in Matthew 24, verse 29. Sun darkening, moon darkening, skies falling, heaven shaking. The other sense of that, or the other time that I want to draw your attention to, there's many, you can look them up on your own, is Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 21, is actually the Apostle Peter preaching at Pentecost, declaring that a passage from the book of Joel, Joel chapter 20, or 2, verse 28 through 32, has been fulfilled. It's being fulfilled right before the very eyes. And so Peter's preaching at Pentecost, and as he's preaching at Pentecost, explaining what's happening with this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he's quoting Joel 2, and he's saying, look, this prophecy is playing out before our eyes. So let me read what Peter says as he quotes from Joel 2, verse 28 through 32. Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. The people accuse them of being drunk because they're speaking in tongues. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In other words, what the prophet Joel said is happening right now. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter goes all the way to verse 32 of Joel, saying that this is being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Okay? So my point in quoting Isaiah 13 and Acts 2, which is a reference to Joel 2, is to say that the language of Matthew 24, verse 29, sun darkening, moon darkening, stars falling, heaven shaking, is metaphorical language that's used in the Bible time and again to describe cataclysmic judgments of God upon cities or nations. And so, Matthew chapter 24, verse 39, is a reference to God's cataclysmic judgment upon Israel. Now, even John MacArthur, who I so often agree with and so often appreciate, but he does take a futuristic view of Matthew 24, as you've no doubt noted. I'm taking a preterist view, meaning I believe it was this part of it was fulfilled mostly in the, or was fulfilled in the first century. But MacArthur thinks this is referring to the end times and the tribulational period and the millennium and all the stuff that I've talked about. But even him, who takes an alternate understanding of this text, says, I quote from his book on the second coming of Christ, most would agree that there is a degree of symbolism in Matthew 24, verse 29. Almost no one expects the stars to fall to earth, literally. It's possible, too, that the sun might not be extinguished, literally. Rather, the sun's light could simply be partly or totally obscured from the earth. So I agree that wooden literalism is not necessary to get the sense of Jesus' words. Scriptural passages on judgment indicate this language. Verse 29 is metaphor for judgment. It's like, it's like me saying this. Boy, when I lived through 2020, that was earth-shaking. Now, somebody says, you know, they, they hear me say this. Well, he's a pretty honest guy. He must have said that the earth actually shook in 2020. No, 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 no. It's metaphor. It's, it's an accepted use of speech. It's an idiom. And you're using metaphor. It's an accepted use of speech to communicate what's happening or what happened or what will happen. So verse 29, sun darkening, moon darkening, stars falling, heaven shaking, is language of cataclysmic judgment that is to come upon Jerusalem. And I think most importantly to our text, verse 29, begins with these words, immediately after the tribulation of those days. That's a time reference. And in fact, in fact, this entire chapter is chock full of time references up until this point. Then this will happen. Then this will happen. Then this will happen. Immediately after that tribulation. 
And so immediately after the tribulation of those days, speaking of the tribulational period that Jerusalem went through between about 66 and 70 A.D., immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will darken, the moon will darken, the stars will fall, and the heavens will shake. Cataclysmic judgment after the tribulation. A judgment like you've never seen before. And very little time between the tribulation and the judgment. In fact, no time at all because it's immediately after. Verse 29, cataclysmic judgment on Jerusalem. Moving on, we're pressing forward here. So if you've tuned out and I've lost you, get back in the game, okay? <laughs> Persevere to the end. Verse 30, we move on. Speaks to the fact that in this cataclysmic judgment on Jerusalem, our Lord Jesus Christ will be vindicated in all of his words and acts. So Jerusalem rejected him. The religious leaders rejected him. But this cataclysmic judgment upon Jerusalem will vindicate Christ's claims and specifically his claims to lordship and kingship in the heavens. It's one way he's saying, you should have listened to me when it happened. We need to show, or sorry, we need to slow this down a little bit, though, to come through. And so slow down with me, and let's slow down and dissect this. Verse 30 begins with this. Then, by the way, that's another time reference. There's all kinds of time references in here. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. What will appear in heaven? Well, the text says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Now, the question is this. Is this a sign in heaven of the Son of Man? So you look up into heaven, and there's a sign of the Son of Man. Or is this a sign that the Son of Man has sat upon his throne in heaven? He's in heaven. That's the question. When we speak of, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, is that referring to a sign that you will see in heaven of the Son of Man, or is it referring to a sign that the Son of Man has ascended into the heavenlies and is reigning from heaven? I think it's the latter, the second. I believe what this is referring to, I'll explain why in a minute, I believe what this is referring to is a sign that will vindicate the fact that Christ is reigning from heaven. Okay? So, if you slow it down a little bit, this does not mean that you will see something in the sky when all this stuff starts to play out. What it means is that you will see something that will confirm that Jesus is reigning in heaven. The heavens. So if you look at the Greek text, which I did, and you translate it in its word order, okay, its word order, this is what you get. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, which, by the way, is exactly how the King James translates it. 
in the word order of the Greek. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. You see there's a little bit of a difference in emphasis between that and the ESV. The ESV says, right, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, which could lead you to believe this is a sign that you're going to see in heaven, whereas if you follow the Greek word order and you get into the KJV, which translates it just as such, it says, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Therefore, this doesn't necessarily mean we will see a sign in heaven, but rather we will see a sign that the Son of Man is in heaven, i.e., he reigns from heaven. R.T. France commented on this text. He said, The sign is the visible manifestation of a heavenly reality already established that the Son of Man is in heaven sitting at the right hand of power. Now, sign is a really important word in this phrase. Because remember, we're, I'm really slowing this down and really taking our time to, to tease all of this out. But sign is a really important word in this phrase. So you look at verse 30. Talks about this sign. What is that a reference to? Well, you go all the way up to our initial question in verse 3. Tell us, the disciples asked Jesus, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming, your parousia, your second coming, and the sign of the close of the age, end of the close of the age? So two sign references. One is of the parousia and one is of the close of the age. According to Romans 11, verse 25, Israel has been put under a partial hardening. And now the Gentiles are coming in, right now, in our time. Sacrifices are over. Okay, This is a fact. No sacrifices. The Jews don't make sacrifices anymore. It's a fact. There's no more temple worship in Jerusalem. In fact, there's no more temple in Jerusalem. The era of the church has begun... And the vindication of Christ has occurred, signaling a sign that the Jewish age is over and the church age has begun. And the sign that this has occurred, the sign that there has been this transition, is what Jesus is talking about, verse 28, or verse 29 and verse 30, the destruction of the temple specifically. That's the sign, the vindication of Jesus Christ. That's the sign. And he goes on. Jesus does in verse 30. That's not where verse 30 stops. He goes on. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Okay? I think what that means is the King James translates it and is consistent with the wording of the Greek text is then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. But you go on, and there's this next phrase in the text. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Now, this is a little more simple, I think. Tribes, typically in the New Testament and in the Bible, refers to the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem, what will that do to the Jews? They'll mourn. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, where, what will you see in the remnants of the temple by the Temple Mount? But the wailing wall, that's where they're going to mourn. They're wailing over what has happened. Their temple is still destroyed. Their sacrificial system no longer exists. They no longer have these Old Testament modes of worship. For 2,000 years, they haven't had it. 
And so you could imagine when news reached across the empire to all the Jews that were scattered, the diaspora of Jews that were scattered across the empire, when news reached them that Rome had sacked Jerusalem, that the temple was destroyed, that the people of Jerusalem had been killed, you could imagine that would have brought mourning. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And we go on. This is the one that everyone's questioning about. The next phrase here. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, or the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the tribes will mourn. And then you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Let's dissect that for a minute. Because remember, what I'm, I believe this whole verse 30 is saying is that Jesus Christ was vindicated in the cataclysmic judgment upon Jerusalem. And I believe that's exactly what verse 30 is saying. The whole thing. The whole shabam. But what does this mean? And then, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory. Well, let's just zero in on that one verb, coming. It does not come from the Greek word parousia. So let's just put that out on the table right now. So you go back up to verse 3, and you look at the question. Tell us when will these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming, parousia, and the sign of the close of the age. Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming, parousia, that's the Greek word that you get coming from there, in the close of the age. Then you go down to verse 30, and verse 30, at the end of it says, and they will see the Son of Man coming, not parousia, erkamai, or erkamenon, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power. So we need to get it out of the table right away that this is not speaking, or is not using the word parousia that was referred to, or is used consistently in the New Testament to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That word is not employed here. It's not employed at all in verse 30. So we need to put that out on the table. Erkamai is the word. Erkamenon. It's parsed out. So this doesn't have to mean the second coming. And it's not answering the question in verse 3, what will be the sign of your coming? Because that's the sign of the Prusia. So there's another sign in verse 3, and that's the sign of the close of the age. He's not talking about the Prusia because he doesn't use the word. He's going to use it later on in chapter 24, but he doesn't use it here. It does not say, furthermore, if you slow down and look at verse 30, remove the assumptions from the text, pay attention, endure with me here. Most of you are engaged. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power, or with power and great glory. Does it say in that text, you will see him coming to earth? No. It says you will see him coming on the clouds. So it doesn't say you'll see him coming to earth. And beyond that, it doesn't say this is the parousia that's being referred to. What does coming on the clouds mean? That's the question. That's the question. What does coming on the clouds mean? It is a biblical way of saying 
that judgment has come and his dominion is being extended over the face of the earth. Now, let me tease that out a little bit, why I would say such a thing. Daniel 7, verse 13 through 14, uses this language to refer to his dominion extending over the face of the earth at the expense of all other dominions. Coming on the clouds of heaven. His dominion coming to earth at the expense of all other dominions. So what Jesus is saying here is his dominion is coming to earth, okay? Not, it's not coming bodily. His dominion is coming to earth. His rule is coming to earth. And it is coming at the expense of all the other dominions. And the first one to topple is Jerusalem. Now, if you look at history, 300 years later, what topples next? Rome. Governments and nations that oppose the reign of Christ lose. It just takes time, but they lose. So, well, where else is this talked about in the Bible? David, King David, uses similar language in 2 Samuel 22. He sings a song in 2 Samuel 22, singing of God's deliverance over his enemies, David's enemies specifically. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 10 and 11, David says, He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen in the wings of the wind. And what's this is talking about? David is singing a song, praising the Lord of his judgment on his enemies. In fact, David is singing of his own vindication as the king of Israel. And so when Jesus is talking about this and using similar language, employing similar language in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 24, he's speaking of God's judgment of Israel and his own vindication as king of Israel. Beyond that, Isaiah chapter 19 uses similar language. Specifically, Isaiah 19, verse 1, speaking of God's judgment on, his, on Egypt, which has come and gone. Chapter 19, verse 1 of Isaiah, it says, An oracle concerning Egypt, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. He's coming on a cloud. And comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Isaiah uses the same, if not the same, similar language to describe God's judgment on Israel. He is coming on the clouds. And what does that mean? Judgment is on the scene. Judgment is on the scene. Okay? Now, one other tidbit that I found very helpful with understanding this is Acts 7. In Acts 7, verse 55 through 56, Stephen is about to be martyred. And as they're about to kill him, he looks up. There's a pause in, in, the, in the sermon. And then he looks up, and in verse 55, Acts 7, he says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So, so Stephen's looking up. The heavens are parted, and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And when he sees that, the Jews go mad, and they kill him. They rush to him and kill him. Why? Because he's saying in that that Christ is reigning from heaven, and his judgment is nigh. He's a coming to get you, unless you repent. And so this whole idea of Christ reigning in the heavens, or sitting in the heavens, or coming in the clouds, and how this came upon Jerusalem with the judgment of God in 70 A.D., 
is the Lord's own vindication of his claims. He claimed that he was king of the temple. He claimed that he was king of Jerusalem. And what did the priests and what did the rulers do with him? But they said, crucify him, and they killed him, and they said, may his blood be on us and our children. And guess what happened to them? The Lord Jesus' claims were vindicated in 70 A.D. as he came on the clouds of heaven. Judgment came from heaven. And the Son of God was vindicated in that cataclysmic judgment by so declaring and demonstrating and proving that he reigns from the heaven. Do you think it is an ironic twist of history, only an ironic twist of history, that 37 years after they crucified Christ, that entire city was basically bulldozed, destroyed, and every single one of them, they said they ran out of space for the crosses because they crucified so many of them in Jerusalem. That's not just an ironic twist of history. That is a vindication of Christ's claims, and it's proof positive that he reigns in the heavens. That's what it is. John Gill, the 18th century Baptist pastor, said in his commentary, he shall appear not in person, but in the power of his wrath and vengeance on the Jewish nation. Okay? Moving on. See, we're going really slow. Very slow. You've got to wade through the weeds and turn over all the stones. What's under there? Look. Verse 31 through 32. Now, speed up a little bit, just a little bit. That cataclysmic judgment, which is the vindication of Jesus Christ, is basically the swinging open of the gates to the conversion of the Gentile nations. It's a change in season. It's a change in times. It's the change of the age. It's the end of the age. It's the new age. It's something's changed here. Verse 31 through 32. Verse 31 says, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So let's slow down and look at verse 31, which is saying, by the way, that God's preachers will bring the Gentile nations into the kingdom after the judgment on Jerusalem. This is the messianic age which comes after, go all the way up to verse 3, the close of the age. We know what the sign of the close of the age is. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. After the close of the age, the new age is ushered in. And it is the messianic age. The beginning of the conversion of Gentile nations. And it's the age that we're presently in. Verse 31 says, And he will send out his angels. Let's just stop there for a minute. His angels. The word for angels there, the Greek word is angelos. And the word angelos can be translated at least two different ways. One is angels, as in angels from heaven. And two is messengers, as in preachers of God. So if you look at chapter 11, verse 10, I'm not going to turn there, but chapter 11, verse 10, John the Baptist is called a messenger. And it's the exact same Greek word, angelos. Here it's translated angels, there it's translated messenger. If you look at not only Matthew 11, verse 10, but if you look at James 2, verse 25, Rahab sends out her messengers. And the messengers of Rahab are translated messengers. Same Greek word, angelos. 
Here it's translated angels, there it's translated messengers. Okay? It's angels. They're simply messengers of God. They're the, they're the ones that are declaring the message of God. The loud trumpet call, the trumpet was used to herald the year of Jubilee. And the gospel age is the Jubilee of the Gentile nations. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, the very last thing that Peter said on his day of Pentecost sermon when he quoted from Joel chapter 2 is, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is well, Peter quoted that, well, they're speaking in tongues, i.e. the languages of many different nations. Okay, they're all speaking in languages of different nations. Peter says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a reference to, this is not a gospel that is just for the Jew. This is the gospel for all the Gentile nations. The trumpet call is the declaration of the year of Jubilee, which simply means that there is now freedom for the whole world. And the call of the gospel message, the call of Christ, the trumpet call of Christ, I believe trumpets being, there is used, being used there metaphorically as it is used in other parts of the Bible, is simply a metaphor for the proclamation of the gospel, a declaration of jubilee, which is nothing more than liberty in Jesus Christ. And so now what you have is you have this message of liberty of Jesus Christ being broadcasted from the four winds of the earth. And look at how vivid the message is. We'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You know what that means? You look down the horizon and you see that end of heaven. He's going to call them from down there. You look down the horizon, you see that end of heaven. He's going to call them from down there. And that end of heaven. And that end of heaven. From all the ends of heavens. And from all the places that the wind comes. There is where the new converts are coming in from. This is great news for you, by the way. This is beautiful news. Because the trumpet sound is still going out today. It's the message. Come and be liberated in Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness of sins. Shed off the weight of the bondage of guilt. And receive full redemption from the slave market of sin and enter into the freedom of your Christ. And so this is liberty in Christ. Everyone is welcome to this liberty. Free grace, no guilt, sins removed, no fear of hell and eternal life to come, all because of the cross. And then Jesus goes on in verse 32 and he says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. What's that meaning? It means that the persecution and the tribulation leading up to 70 AD is a dark winter for the church. But after 70 A.D., there will be a time of flourishing in summer. The summer's coming. The Gentile vines will be grafted into the fig tree. And they will bear glorious fruit after the cataclysmic judgment of God on Jerusalem. And this is specifically what happened. As the gospel of Jesus Christ took the Roman Empire, and by the way, this is still happening today. How is it that this all started in a city over there on the other side of the ocean, even on the other side of the Mediterranean in the Middle East? This all started in a city over there. And how is it here, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of miles across the sea and across land, and 
you know, 2,000 years later, here we are sitting, listening to the message of liberty and the Gentile summer, the harvest of the Gentile summer is coming in. This is a message for everybody. White, yellow, black, or brown. Everybody, you're all welcome. No matter your language, no matter your background, no matter the family you come from, no matter how dirty of a sinner you are, come and be liberated in Jesus Christ. And the message is, is that this, this will resound from wherever the wind blows and the, wherever you see the heavens on the horizon, this message will resound and there will be a great harvest. So get through the winter, guys, because summer's coming. Now, I move on. Verse 33 through 35. See, I'm picking up the pace a little bit here. Everything leading up to this, the destruction of Jerusalem and including the destruction of Jerusalem, will happen in the apostles' lifetime. So moving on, check in again. If you, if you took the off-ramp, get back on the on-ramp. Okay, get off the rest station. We're getting back in. We're merging in here. Everything that leads up to and including the destruction of Jerusalem that Jesus just talked about will happen in the apostles' lifetime, verse 33 through 35. But we need to answer some questions in verse 33. So let's look at verse 33. So also when you see all these things, you know that, the near, the, you know that he is near at the very gate. So we need to answer some questions in verse 33. What are these things and who is he? Let's talk about these things. These things are referring to the tribulation and judgment upon Jerusalem, the tribulation leading up to that judgment and the actual cataclysmic judgment itself, its destruction. Now, this phrase, these things, is used consistently. You go all the way back up to chapter 23, you look at verse 36, just as Jesus is leaving the temple, what does he say just as he leaves the temple? Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And what has he just done? He's pronounced a curse upon that generation because they wouldn't receive him in the temple. You go down to verse 3 of chapter 24, and what does he say? What do they ask him? Tell us, when will these things be? What's that a question of? The destruction of the temple, which he just referred to. These things is an important phrase in our text, and it is meaning, and it has meant until this point, the destruction of the temple. And Jesus says... In verse 33, very clearly, so also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So what does these things mean in verse 33 and verse 34? The destruction of Jerusalem. These things. Now, i got to answer another question about verse 33. Who is he at the very gates that's near? Now, slow down again. He can also be translated as it. Now, if you have an ESV, you'll actually probably see a footnote. And it will go and it will say it or it. Okay? He is very near at the gates. Maybe not, maybe so. But if you have a King James Version or if you have a New International Version, 
it actually translates it, it. New King James or New International Version says, So also, when you see all these things, you know that it is near at the very gates. So it could go either way, he or it. Okay? The translation. The previous text, if you go up, verse 32, you know that the summer is near. Then the end of verse 33, you know that it is near. So, so what is the antecedent of he or it in verse 33? Something that it's near. What did he just tell us is near? He told us that the summer is near. So what is he referring to? Well, it should actually, I think, be translated as it, given the context. And it is simply referring to the summer that is near, which is the Gentile in gathering. It's about to come in. This glorious time of outpouring of God's Holy Spirit and the advancement of His kingdom across the nations, across the world, is about to come in. When, so let me, let's look at verse 33. Let me... Give some context here. When you see these things, i.e. the judgment, you know it, i.e. this Gentile summer, is near at the gate. All these things will happen in the generation of the disciples. And who's going to see it? They're going to see it. When you see it, you will see it, these things. Moving on to verse 34. It's all going to happen in their generation. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, this reference to all these things. Now, all these things will happen in this generation of the disciples. I just explained what these things are. It's the judgment upon Jerusalem. This generation in Matthew refers to about a 30-year period. This is consistent, by the way. Matthew immediately opens up his gospel with reference to generations. Generation is a very significant theme in the gospel of Matthew. So if you're going to read this word generation within the context of Matthew, what you have to understand is it means a generation of people. You know, you got the boomer generation, you got Generation X, all this other stuff, right? It's referring to one generation, about 30 years. If you look at Matthew 1, verse 17, for example, it refers to generations. It's a very significant theme. Matthew 11, verse 16, Jesus or condemns this generation. Matthew 12, verse 41 through 42, he condemns this generation. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17, he condemns this generation. And I think most importantly, when he makes his final exodus out of the temple, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 36, he says, truly I tell you, these things will come upon this generation. These things will happen to this generation. You know what Jesus is saying? Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's looking out at Jerusalem. He's saying, you see those people that rejected me? You see those people that wouldn't let me be worshipped in the temple? Jesus is talking. All those ones. And the ones that are going to soon call crucify him, they're going down. And it's going to be ugly. And these things will fall upon this generation. Now, when I come to this text... There are some who accuse me of not being literal in my interpretation because of how I dealt with specifically verse 29 and verse 30 and verse 31. They'll say, you're not literal. Okay? 
That's going to be the allegation. But if you're going to come to this text, you're going to have to make a metaphor out of at least one of two things. You're going to have to make a metaphor out of verse 29 through 31, when it uses these language, you know, the sun being darkened, moon being darkened, stars falling, heaven shaking. That's either going to be a metaphor. Symbolic language is the Old Testament uses as, as such. Or the word generation is going to be a metaphor. It means something other than it's meant up until now in the Gospel of Matthew. But you're going to have to come to this and you're going to say, I'm not taking a wooden literalism on one of those. That's your choice. Either sun darkening, moon darkening, stars falling, heaven shaking is not wooden literalism. It's just symbolic language that the Old Testament uses to describe judgment. Or generation is not wooden literalism. It means some distant group of people, but it certainly doesn't mean whatever it means has meant into Matthew up until now. That's your choice. Which one is going to be wooden, literally, and which one is going to be metaphor? And this is basically the dividing line between the preterist and the futurist view. This is where the dividing line is. The preterists, the ones who say up until now, this is all being fulfilled in about 70 AD, the position that I've taken, well, what we say is, look, this language sun darkening and moon darkening and sky falling and sky shaking, all of this stuff is Old Testament language used to describe cataclysmic judgment, which I think I demonstrated it is. But then the futurists will say, no, 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 we have a wooden literalism on that, but when it comes to the word generation, it doesn't mean what generation means all the way up until now in Matthew. That's the dividing line. That's the distinction between the position I've taken and the dispensationalist position. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Well, I've told you what I've Believe. I believe that the apocalyptic language is just that. It's symbolic language used to describe cataclysmic judgment, but generation literally means generation, just as it has up until this very point in Matthew's gospel. And so I think it's fairly clear, but I want to move on. And I want to really hammer this point home. Because if you look at verse 34, he says, Truly I say to you, so th he's confirming the prophecy that he just gave of this destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the events leading up to it and the sign that this age is coming to an end. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The word not there, as I have said before, is a double negative. And a double negative in English means it's a positive, but a double negative in Greek means it's emphatic. And so what Jesus is saying here is, truly I say to you, this generation will not, 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 not pass away until all these things take place. Meaning that these people are going to pay for what they're doing. They're going to get it. And then he goes on in verse 35 and he doubles down even more, if he could even more. Triples down, quadruples down. Because in verse 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Again, a double negative, meaning heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, 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 not pass away. Meaning, 
Everything he has said up until this point about the curse of God upon that generation, and they're about to receive the full curse of God with this cataclysmic judgment upon Israel, will for sure happen. In fact, you can take it to the bank because that promise is more solid than the heavens above or the earth that you're standing on. The vindication of Jesus Christ. The judgment was certain upon that generation. And by the way, if you look over there, there's still no temple there. There still isn't. They still don't make sacrifices. The temple system is done. And Christ was vindicated in 70 AD in the destruction of Jerusalem. The Gentile summer, the blessings upon the Gentile nation, the ingathering of Gentiles has begun. We are still feeling the effects of that. In fact, we should have a very high level of optimism in the success of our mission because this, we, this summer is in effect even today. Non-Jewish nations will be and are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the application is such that Jesus Christ, know this, as I close up this sermon, that Jesus Christ is good on his word. He's good on his word. He is always good on his word. And his word is this. If you don't repent and put your faith in Christ, you will go to hell. So you better repent. The heavens and the earth might pass away, but that will not pass away. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And you will be liberated from the tyranny of sin and the shackles of sin. So come to Jesus Christ because he is good on his word. Always good on his word. And beyond that, nations and generations who reject him, those who reject him, he will vindicate himself. He will show that he is real. Absolutely. And if you want to know an example of a group of people that he demonstrated his reality and he showed that he's good on his promise, you look back to 70 AD and you see the Jerusalem that was burned to the ground. And just know this, and the 21st century Canadian ought to know this, a, a country that is now characterized by the intentional rejection of Jesus Christ, they ought to look over to Jerusalem for an example of what's to come unless there's repentance. Jerusalem is a stinking reminder of what happens to nations and generations that intentionally reject him. So don't you forget that. But beyond that, this ingathering is upon us. Jerusalem is destroyed. And he said that was a sign that summer is coming. And I really believe that the Christian should have a hopeful optimism over the success of our mission because we are living in that summer. And our mission is to evangelize individuals and Christianize peoples. As I've said many times before throughout this Matthew series, God changes the heart, the heart changes the person, the person changes the world. We even heard that in the baptismal testimonies a few moments ago. When people are converted, there is living water that flows out of them, and whatever that living water touches quite often turns to life. You, you will have gospel power in your life. You'll have gospel power in the people. You take the word of God and it completely owns you and you completely fall on the ground before the word of God and you are declared a new creature in Jesus Christ. You receive the second birth. There is a flowing gospel power in that. And we ought to have a hopeful optimism over the success of our mission. And we are right now living in this Gentile summer whereby the gospel has been opened up to all nations of the earth. And so I want to close with an open invitation to free grace. 
Come to Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sins. Receive free grace and eternal life and look to the cross of Christ, that bloody sacrifice upon the cross that paid for all of your sins. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be born again. Come to Jesus. Why would you delay? The success of his mission is a guarantee. Because as sure as the heavens are above us and the ground is beneath us, even more sure is the word of Jesus Christ. Won't you come to him? Won't you believe in the gospel? Won't you be born again? Won't you receive the forgiveness of sins that's been purchased for you in the cross? A full pardon for all of your sins and the power of the second birth so that you might be sanctified and made holy and pure and spotless to stand before our Lord Jesus when he finally does come again in judgment and appears bodily in the heavens divides up the world between those who trusted him and those who didn't. Won't you come to Jesus Christ today and be saved?